So we're in Luke chapter uh, 15, and we're continuing. Jesus is continuing his journey toward Jerusalem. And we, we have seen already in the uh, scripture passages where he's uh, gone into uh, the, uh, maybe we would call it the enemy's territory, the Samaria, right? The people that we don't associate with. And that's where they're headed. They're going through Samaria and, and uh, encountering different people throughout these villages. And Jesus has sent out uh, the you know, uh, disciples ahead of him to go into these villages, to go into these towns and to, uh, to begin to preach the gospel. And when Jesus gets there, uh, it seems as though, and, and um, what Luke is doing is he's giving us little glimpses into Jesus' teaching ministry. You know, a lot of times we see, um, we see the, the miracles and we, we uh, see the miracles that Jesus did and we're enamored by that and uh, that Jesus did all these incredible things. Well, Luke is also giving us not just his, uh, his miracle ministry, uh, but he's giving us glimpses into what was it that Jesus was teaching? Well, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching about the gospel. And we see that uh, through his messages, and they, they are recorded largely in Luke's gospel uh, according to parables. We looked at last week, we mentioned the idea of parable, the word parable meaning uh, like a parabola. If you remember that in, in uh, math class, uh, parabola is, you know, side by side. It's a, it's a curve where one side mirrors the other. And that's what we see uh, happening uh, again with every parable. There is an earthly story and then there's a heavenly truth. There's an earthly story. It's the surface meaning. It's the casual reading. You can see the earthly story. But those that have spiritual discernment, spiritual insight, can see a, the, the second part of the parable, the, the, the mirrored spiritual aspects of it. And so with a little bit of discernment, you can see the two, this one story that is a mirror of each other, an earthly story, heavenly truth, uh, and, it's, and it's, both of them are being portrayed. Well, this morning we're going to look at a par- what I call a parable trilogy. It's a parable trilogy. Uh, Jesus, what he does here, is he doesn't just share one parable. He shares three back-to-back. Uh, and these three parables are oftentimes... Uh, separated, isolated out, you know, you, and, and we sometimes we just preach on one in particular. In fact, the one that is most often preached on is the one called the, pro, we call it the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son is the one we hear most often. Uh, but to, to give you an idea of how isolated it is, if I were to ask you, what are the other two parables that's associated with the prodigal son? Most of us would go, there's two other parables that go with it, right? What? Uh, yes, there are. There's two other parables. The, it's the, you know, there's two prequels, if you will, before you get to the prodigal son. Part one and part two uh, before you get to part three, which is uh, the prodigal son. In fact, we, we really shouldn't call it the prodigal son. Uh, it is, is more directly should be called the lost son, the lost son. And the reason I say that is because that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three parables, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Those three uh, go together extremely well. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I want to tell you the common thread that runs through all three of these. Uh, within each parable, there has been something that is lost and something that has been found. 
That's the common thread between all three parables. There's a common thread. Something's been lost and something has been found. And then we're going to see some other similarities, but that's the major, the major theme. So keep in mind uh, that the mirrored understanding of the parable is going to reveal something about the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Luke chapter 15. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that's Jesus, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, that's Jesus, spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more, rejo- more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You know, as we pause there and think about this, it's interesting because I want us to consider this. Sometimes in our church vernacular, in our church language, our Christianese, if you will, um, we have a tendency to use words that... Um, maybe we're extremely familiar with, like lost. We might say, well, this person's lost. Well, and to someone who is outside a relationship with Christ, what does that mean, right? I mean, what, is that, what does that mean to be, to be lost? Well, uh, uh, you know, before we, before we move on, I want us to consider this. The idea of lost is not a, uh, a derogatory term. What I mean by that is it's not a... Uh, oh, you, you're a lost sinner, condemnation. It is, it's a term of placing value on something. It's a, it's a term of when you lose, lose something that's valuable to you, you, you want to find it. You want to look for it. You, want, you, you appreciate it to such a degree that you would do whatever it takes so when someone who is outside of a relationship with Christ is referred to as lost, it's really a term of, for the Christian, it is a term of endearment of saying, we value you. We value who you are. And we, we not only value you, we, we place value upon you because we believe that you're created in the image of God. And because you are created in the image of God, we want to do everything that we can to help you have a relationship with the Lord. So when, when we refer to someone as being lost, uh, it truly is a term of endearment, a term of, of value. So let's, with that in mind, let's begin with key point number one. Key point number one is this, that the parable of the lost sheep points us to Jesus as our good shepherd. That's the whole purpose of this first parable. It's, it's pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. That if he had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, that he would do what? He, Jesus would do everything that he could to find the one sheep. Why? Because that one sheep has value. That one sheep, even though it's lost, it has incredible value. And, and he's going to do everything that he can. And when he finds it, there's going to be incredible, incredible rejoicing. You know, the language here, this language of the shepherd, 
and the sheep, it's a bit harder for us to relate sometimes because, uh, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know that we have any sheep herders, you know, uh, you know in, in our congregation. I don't know that we, we have any shepherds uh, that, that uh, attend at Grace Point. Uh, but the language of Jesus as the good shepherd and his followers being described as sheep is found throughout Scripture. Uh, but I want to make up. I want I want us to make the point and to look at this intentionally that the good shepherd is someone who is not a hireling. There's 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 two types of of people who care for sheep, especially during this time period. You're going to have the shepherd. And the shepherd is the one who has an investment into the sheep. They have, they have purchased the sheep. They take care of the sheep. They, but they can't, they can't always be there, so what do they do? Sometimes they will have a hireling, someone who can come in and step in and, and kind of watch the sheep for, for a moment, maybe, maybe for a little bit while the shepherd does some other things. And that person is called the hireling. The difference between the shepherd and the hireling is that a hireling is only there for a season and they don't care for the sheep nearly as much as the shepherd himself does. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the shepherd is the one, he would lay down his life for the sheep because it's that, that, that valuable to him. Now, the, the shepherd who, who cares for his flock of sheep, if one of them goes missing, he's going to do everything that he can to go and find that one. A hireling, on the other hand, um, they're, they're getting paid to just sit and watch, right? So if a threat comes along, the hireling is going, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to deal with this wolf. I'm not going to deal with, you know, whatever it might be. The hireling will abandon in a situation of threat. But the shepherd sticks around. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is not a hireling. Jesus doesn't just leave when things get difficult. Jesus recognizes that in those moments where the wolf is coming and, and is going to attack, Jesus is the good shepherd that steps in. Jesus is the good shepherd that says, I will, I will put my life on the line to, sh- to save the sheep. He'll do everything that he can. Jesus is not a hireling. The good shepherd is not a hireling. The shepherd is the owner of the whole flock not just a paid servant that supervises the sheep. Now, that's so important. And the Bible teaches us that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. And that the good shepherd not only knows his sheep by name, that the good shepherd would do everything that he can uh, to protect them. You're familiar with the 23rd Psalm? The 23rd Psalm is a Psalm of David, and it talks about... uh, you know, the Lord being a shepherd. And, you know, and it makes sense because David himself, you know, being a, 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 a shepherd would understand the language. And one of the passages in the 23rd Psalm talks about thy rod and thy staff, or your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's not two different instruments. It's actually one instrument. If you think of it this way, it's this, you know, we sometimes refer to this as a staff. This is the staff. This, this section right here. This is where if I wanted to reach out and grab CJ by the neck, you know, I could do, I could do so. If he started going away from me and he starts to run, I could reach out and pull, and pull him back. That's exactly what you would do with, with a, you know, a, a sheep that's getting away. You take that and you hook it around their neck. You pull it back. That's the staff. There's also the rod. The rod is the other end, okay? 
This time, CJ's not moving fast enough. You know, get going. We're going to poke him, right? Hey, let's get going. The sheep, the, the, the sheep that's a little bit rebellious, hey, you know, they might need a, a prod. They might need something to get them, get them going. So when, when David says, thy rod and thy staff comfort me, it's one instrument. The, the, the staff, the rod, it's one instrument. This one is often used to protect you know, it's to pull them back, keep them, from, keep them from harm. This one is often disciplinary. This one is, you know, hey, you know, you smack it, you bring it back in, you know, you, you know it's used as a disciplinary tool to kind of keep them in line. In fact, there's, uh, there's, a, um, there's an illustration about how shepherds at the time would not only uh, use the rod and the staff as a tool and instrument of discipline, that if a sheep became rebellious and that sheep continually wandered off and it kept, kept wandering off over and over and it's like, ah, oh, then you're pulling it back in, kept pulling it back in. There comes a point where the shepherd says, I'm done with this. This, this sheep keeps wandering off and they bring that, that little you lamb and bring it in close and, it, and, and break its back leg, just one of their back legs. Now that sounds terrible, right? I mean, why would you, why would you break the leg of a, of a little you lamb? Uh, well, because it, it keeps wandering off. It's, it's rebellious. And it breaks that little leg. It breaks its leg. Now what happens? Well, it's, not, it's not wandering off anymore, right? But it's also, not only is it not wandering off, it's not moving with the rest of the flock either. So what, what has to happen? The shepherd then has to pick up that little ewe lamb, put it on its shoulders, and has to carry it with it, bandage it up, care for its little leg, let it heal, and then the shepherd literally carries it from point A to point B to point C and so forth. And as the, as the leg begins to heal, the shepherd is then able to put the little ewe lamb down and it will graze right around the shepherd's feet. And you know what's interesting is that once the leg has fully healed, the shepherd often finds himself tripping over that same sheep as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger because it never wants to leave the shepherd's side because that's what it's grown to be used to. Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus is a good shepherd that his rod and staff comfort us. It pulls us back in when we need to be pulled back in. It gives us a prodding when we need to be prodded. He may even break our bones for the purpose of a rebellious soul, someone who is being rebellious. He may break the bones so that we can be brought back into a closer relationship with him. Now, I want you to see this in Scripture. It's found in Psalms. David, of course, being a shepherd himself, uh, we should not be surprised that David uses this type of language. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 8, I want you to listen to this. It says, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So what is David saying? David's saying, God, sometimes it's necessary for you to break bones because I have been rebellious. Do you know what Psalm 51 is about? David has just been confronted by Nathan and he has been caught in adultery and he has been rebellious and now Nathan is calling him out and confronting him and he is recognizing God 
I have been rebellious to you like a sheep. I have been doing my own thing. And God, you have broken my bones. And now he's saying, God, would you make me joyful and glad? Would you, would you make me joyful and glad that you have done this very thing, that you've broken my bones? So it gives us some context, right? When we read through that passage and we're going, How, why in the world would we, be, would we rejoice over broken bones? That just seems crazy, right? Why would we rejoice over that? We rejoice over it because in our rebellion, the good shepherd cared enough to say, you know what? I'm going to do something that's going to seem painful in the moment, but I'm going to do it so that it will draw you closer to me. And I'm going to do it so that you will spend more time closer to me as, as, as a necessity. So the good shepherd sometimes will break your bones. 